Hello, and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host, Axel Taylor, and today I'm going to be telling you about the disappearance of the USS Cyclops in 1918. And if you stick around a bit afterwards, I'm also going to throw in the segment from Talk Spooky to Me that was meant to be on the special we had last week. But end up being a World War Two segment instead of World War One, so I'm just gonna chuck it on the end of this episode. And I think that's pretty much everything to kick us off. So I'm gonna cut to music and then head straight into it. Be right back. And we are back. So, let's talk about the USS Cyclops. At the time of its disappearance in 1918, it was the largest ship that the US Navy had at 540 feet long and with 309 crew members being used to transport fuel and refugees. But despite this, in March, it vanished in what would be the largest non-combat loss of life in US naval history. To this day, its whereabouts are unknown. She was the second of four Proteus-class colliers built for the US Navy, and the other three would also meet poor fates, though those wouldn't be until the Second World War, many years later. So, the USS Cyclops launched on the 7th of May 1910, entering service on the 7th of November, under the command of Lieutenant Commander George Worley, and serving with the Atlantic Fleet's Naval Auxiliary Service. Between May and July 1911, she would supply 2nd Division ships in the Baltic until returning to Norfolk, Virginia to service the fleet from Newport, Rhode Island to the Caribbean. In 1914-1917, the USS Cyclops would call ships on patrol during the United States occupation of Veracruz in Mexico, also receiving the thanks of the US State Department for cooperation in evacuating refugees. In April 1917, the United States would enter World War I, and the USS Cyclops was commissioned on the 1st of May 1917, with Lieutenant Commander Worley in command. She was outfitted with 50 caliber guns and joined the convoy, transporting doctors and supplies to Saint-Nazaire, France in June 1917, and returning to the US in July. After this, barring a journey to Halifax in Nova Scotia, she would serve along the East Coast until the 9th of January 1918, when she was assigned to the Naval Overseas Transportation Service to transport troops. After this, she would sail to Brazilian waters to fuel British ships in the South Atlantic, and would arrive in Brazil with 9,960 tons of coal for English ships. Soon after this is where our story gets interesting. So while in Brazil, the USS Cyclops would be given her new cargo of manganese ore, which was used in steelmaking and munitions, in this case more likely munitions, and she'd leave Rio de Janeiro on the 16th of February 1918, entering Salvador on the 20th of February. Two days after this, she left for Baltimore, Maryland, with no stop scheduled, and this would be the last time the ship was seen. The last known message from the ship was, whether fair or well. According to a New York Times account of the time, the captain never sent a distress signal, and nobody on board responded to any radio calls made by the hundreds of American ships in the vicinity. It's thought that the ship was overloaded when she left Brazil, 
as her maximum cargo capacity was listed as 8,000 long tons of coal, and her maximum deadweight tonnage, or general carrying capacity, was 14,500 tons. And considering she was loaded with 10,800 long tons of ore, 4,000 tons of water, plus fuel, coal, and provisions, it's quite likely that she was well overweight. On top of this, before leaving port, Wally had put in a report that the starboard engine had a cracked cylinder and wasn't working. And the report was confirmed by a survey board, which recommended that the ship be returned to the United States. She would make an unscheduled stop in Barbados, because the water level was over the waterline, where the water surface meets the hull, which indicated that it was overloaded. But investigations in Rio proved that the ship had been loaded and secured properly. The Cyclops was rumoured to have been sighted on the 9th of March by the molasses tanker Amolco, near Virginia, but this was denied by the Amolco's captain. Additionally, the Cyclops set out from Baltimore on the 4th of March and was not due to be in Baltimore until the 13th. Considering where the sighting was near Virginia, it's unlikely this would have occurred as that would have put the ship only about a day from Baltimore, a good three days ahead of its schedule. But regardless of what happened, the Cyclops didn't make it to Baltimore and no wreckage was ever found. On the 1st of June 1918, Franklin D. Roosevelt, Assistant Secretary of the Navy, declared the Cyclops to be officially lost and all hands deceased. There are reports suggesting that on the 10th of March, a violent storm swept through the Virginia Capes area the day after the ship was rumoured to have been sighted. And this led some to suggest that the disappearance may have been due to the combination of the overloaded conditions, engine troubles, and bad weather joining together to sink the Cyclops. Though despite this, a naval investigation concluded that many theories were advanced, but none that satisfactory accounted for her disappearance. Rear Admiral George Vandeur suggested that the loss of the Cyclops could be due to structural failures, as her sister's ships suffered from issues where the I-beams that ran the length of the ship and resisted sheer forces, had been eroded due to the corrosive nature of some of the cargo that it carried. This would be observed on other ships as well, such as the USS Jason, and is believed to have been part of the reason for the sinking of a similar freighter ship, Chucky, which was reported to have snapped in two on calm seas. Additionally, the Cyclops supposedly may have hit a storm with winds of 35 to 46 miles per hour, which could have resulted in waves just far enough apart to leave the bow and stern supported on the peaks of the waves, but with the middle unsupported, resulting in extra strain on the weakened central area. In World War II, two of the Cyclops' sister ships, the Proteus and the Nereus, vanished at sea, with both ships similarly transporting heavy loads of metallic ore, and in both cases their loss was theorised to have been caused by catastrophic structural failure. An expert from Lloyd's investigating the loss of the Cyclops would note that manganese ore is much denser than coal, and therefore would have room to move between the holds even when fully laden. Additionally, the hatch covers were made of canvas, and that when wet, the manganese ore can become a slurry, so the load could shift and cause the ship to list side to side. Combining this with a possible loss of power from only having one engine, it could cause the ship to sink in bad weather. Of course, with a ship of this size disappearing, there were more theories put forward, some of which were less likely than others, and one of these was attributing all three of these vessels disappearing to the Bermuda Triangle 
has part of the disappearances of over a hundred other ships and planes in the area. However, in modern times, the Bermuda Triangle has been repeatedly debunked, and the area is one of the most heavily travelled shipping lanes in the world, and cruise ships and pleasure crafts regularly go through the region. Another one would be Literary Digest, which speculated that a giant octopus rose from the sea, entwined the ship with its tentacles, and dragged it to the bottom. But, anyway, going back to one of the more researched theories, like, it was wartime, of course. So she was thought to have been captured or sunk by a German raider or submarine, after all carrying nearly 11 tonnes of manganese ore, like I said was used in munitions and steel, she would have been a strategic target. But German authorities at the time denied any knowledge of the vessel. And this idea of Germans capturing the ship went further as to involving Captain Worley, as Investigations by the Office of Naval Intelligence would reveal that he was born Johann Frederick Wichmann in Sandstead, Hanover, Germany, in 1862, despite the official Navy Register listing the date of his birth as the 11th of December 1865, and that he had arrived in America by jumping ship in San Francisco in 1878, and later changed his name to Worley, during which time he ran a saloon in San Francisco's Barbary Coast and also qualified for the position of ship's master, and had commanded several civilian merchant ships, picking up and delivering cargo, supposedly both legal and illegal, from the Far East to San Francisco. He was given the post of Lieutenant Commander in the Naval Auxiliary Reserve on the 21st of February 1917, where he gained a reputation for having a less than pleasant personality, with the crew often being punished quite harshly by him for trivial things, and some members of the crew claiming that Worley was a drunk and unsuitable to steer a ship. Naval investigators would discover information from former crew members about Worley's habits. For example, he would berate and curse officers and men for minor offences, sometimes getting violent, and at one point even chasing an unsign around a ship with a pistol, He'd quite often be found making his rounds around the ship, dressed in long underwear and a derby hat. Wally would also sometimes have an inexperienced officer in charge of loading cargo on the ship, while more experienced crew were confined to their quarters for minor offences. And supposedly this was the case in Rio de Janeiro, with a less experienced crewman assigned to oversee the loading of the manganese ore, which was something that a collier wasn't used to carrying in the first place. In this case, it probably didn't help that the amount of ore they got was more than they should have been carrying. Worley was accused of being pro-German during wartime, and colluding with the enemy, with many of his closest friends and associates being either Germans or Americans of German descent, with speculation that the ship had many German sympathisers on board. One of the passengers on the final voyage of the USS Cyclops was Alfred Louis Moreau Gottschalk, the Consul General in Rio de Janeiro who was pretty well known for his pro-German sympathies, and just as well disliked for it. And it was theorised that Gottschalk may have been directly involved in collaborating with Worley in handing the ship to over to the Germans. Uh, after the war, German records were checked to figure out what happened to the Cyclops, in case it was by Worley's hand, or by submarine attack, or German raider. Nothing was found, and Worley was cleared of the accusations. Of course, being disappeared, it probably didn't matter so much, but, you know, it's nice to know. 
Anyway, near the time the search for the Cyclops was called off, a telegram was received by the State Department from Charles Ludlow Livingston, who was the US consul in Barbados, which implied dislike for the captain and potential mutinies occurring on the ship in the past. And the telegram read as followed. Department's 15th, confidential, Master Cyclops stated that required 600 tons coal having sufficient on board to reach Bermuda. Engines very poor condition. Not sufficient funds and therefore requested payment by me. Unusually reticent. I have ascertained he took here ton fresh meat, ton flour, thousand pounds vegetables, paying therefore $775. From different sources gather the following. He had plenty of coal, alleged inferior, took coal to mix, probably had more than 1,500 tons, master alluded to by others, as damned Dutchman, apparently disliked by other officers. Rumoured disturbances en route hither, men confined and one executed. Also had some prisoners from the fleet in Brazilian waters. One life sentence. United States Consul General Gottschalk, passenger. 231 crew exclusive of officers and passengers. Have names of crew, but not of all of the officers and passengers. Many Germanic names appear. Number telegraphic or wireless messages addressed to master in care of ship were delivered at this port. All telegrams for Barbados, on file head office street Thomas. I have to suggest scrutiny here. While not having any definite grounds, I fear fate worse than sinking, though possibly based on instinctive dislike felt towards master. Livingston, consul. Like, some reports would attribute the telegram to Brockholst Livingston, but he was actually the 13-year-old son of the consul. In 1920, Santa Fe magazine would also describe the disappearance as, usually, a wooden bucket or cork life preserver, identified as belonging to a lost ship, is picked up after a wreck, but not so with the Cyclops. She just disappeared as though some gigantic monster of the sea had grabbed her, men and all, and sent her into the depths of the ocean and the suddenness of her destruction is amplified by the absence of any wireless calls for help being picked up by any ship along the route. In more recent times, there have been others looking at the ship. A descendant of one of the firefighters aboard the ship, Marvin Barish, has spent more than 10 years researching its history and gathering anything that can help, saying that the whole existence of the ship has been swept under the rug. It wasn't like it was lost in a glorious battle, it kind of just fell off the face of the earth. His suspicions of what happened to the ship generally involve a series of mechanical failures, a crew unused to the new heavy cargo, and a large wave that tipped the ship and her passengers into the ocean. Additionally, he thinks it may have coincided with the ship passing over the Puerto Rico Trench, which is the deepest part of the Atlantic, at about 8.5 kilometers deep, where she would be pretty much near where it would be pretty much near impossible to retrieve her. Though he also mentions that there's hope for the ship to be discovered as undersea exploration technology improves, as more and more shipwrecks are being discovered each year, with high-tech devices finding wrecks which are believed to have been gone for good. The US Navy says in its official statement about the Cyclops that the disappearance of this ship has been one of the most baffling mysteries in the annals of the Navy, all attempts to locate her having proved unsuccessful. And that's all I have to Cyclops but I'll go over the sister ships real quick before we wrap up. So the USS Jupiter was converted to an aircraft carrier between 1920 and 1922, 
before being recommissioned as the USS Langley. And Langley was the first American aircraft carrier and was vital in developing United States aviation capabilities of the Navy. She would once again be converted between 1936 and 1937 as a seaplane tender and redesignated as AV-3. She was stationed in the Philippines in December 1941 and was sailed to Australia following Japanese attacks on Pearl Harbor and the Philippines. On February 27, 1942, while ferrying fighter planes to Southeast Asia, she would be attacked by Japanese aircraft and be hit by five bombs, causing critical damage. So after her crew members were rescued, she was scuttled by torpedoes fired by her escorting destroyers to prevent capture by the enemy. Meanwhile, the USS Proteus was sold on March 8, 1941, becoming part of the Canadian Merchant Navy, and would be lost without a trace at sea somewhere after November 25, 1941, most likely near or in the Caribbean Sea. The USS Narius was sold to the Aluminium Company of Canada on 27 February 1941, and would be lost without a trace on December 10, 1941, after leaving St. Thomas of the US Virgin Islands, carrying a load of bauxite ore for making aluminium. But yes, anyway, that's all I have, so we're going to cut to music and wrap up. They will also have the World War II segment of what was given to me by Talk Spooky to Me after we wrap up, so stay tuned after that. And we are back. So I'm just going to wrap it real quick and then from the World War II segment from Talk Spook to Me just afterwards. I'm going to get through it pretty quick just so you can get in and listen. Plugs for this episode would be Talk Spook to Me because, you know, segment, all bad things. Uh, social media, we have Facebook at facebook.com slash blood the rocks. Instagram and Twitter at the bloody rocks. And email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. And I think that's about it. So we'll cut to music and then I'll throw on this segment from Talk Spook to Me, who are also great. So stay tuned, rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends and have a great week. See you soon. guys hey oh hey <laughs> hi i'm leany and i'm bunny and together we are talk spooky to me um a weekly podcast that covers all things a little bit spooky so true crime paranormal shizzle wizzle uh horror whatever you want to get your grubby mitts on and then at the end when you're really bummed out we like to read you a nice creepy story or crappy story depending or on how we're feeling story, but you know <laughs> just something to lighten the mood Yes. So today, um, our lovely friend Akshay has uh, has enlisted us to do some creepy stories about World War Two. So you're welcome. So settle in. So I'm going to kick it off with a creepy story for you, Bunny, about missing children. Oh, your favourite type of children. Bye. So. This story comes from a Reddit user, Igloo444. 
Okay. Their grandfather was a member of the British Army and was stationed in a remote village in the Swiss Alps during the winter of 1943. The village quickly got snowed in and all the telephone lines were out. The roads were blocked and the whole battalion was stuck in the Swiss Alps for the entire winter. Oh no. Oh shit. We're setting the mood here. It's cold. You're in the Swiss Alps. Nobody wants to be there. It's hilly. Miserable. You've got to walk up hills. Fuck that. Oh, hell no. (laughs) So most of the villagers spoke German. Did I tell you that I went to Germany and we went to go and try play mini golf? And we asked him, like, how much is mini golf? Because we didn't know what it was in German. And the guy said, uh, welcome to Germany where we speak German. And he refused to speak to us after that. And we had to leave without playing mini golf. What dickhead. Yeah. So uh, hopefully most of the villagers are nicer than that guy. Charming old German. (laughs) Um, Apparently most of the troops only spoke English. So there was a bit of a language barrier between them all. Right. When the troops were out at a local bar at night, a man began yelling, where take you the children? in a German accent, which I'm not going to do because it's racist. Good, good for you. The um, British troops were a little bit confuddled by this. So they were like, what children? We've not taken the children. You are right, mate. Do you need to sit down? Should I call <laughs> okay, someone hon. for you? <laughs> You're okay, hon. <laughs> they rounded up a translator and took the man back to the base, where he told them that since their arrival, uh, several small objects had gone missing. Small objects like children. (laughs) What the hell? No, small objects like a tarp, some wood, an axe-like weapon called a halbert. Halbert? Today I learned. There you go. You're welcome. And then children started disappearing. (laughs) If it had just been one child, they'd have probably written it off as being a weird or tragic accident. (laughs) Because, you know, sucks to be that kid. Yeah, what the heck? They were, after all, stuck in the mountains, surrounded by snow and wild animals. So, you know, a bear Oh, okay. <laughs> little mountain lion might just prowl Arr. in there. But there were three children that had gone missing, so it was a little bit spooky-dooky. Okay. The captain told the villagers that he would continue to look into the matter and that he would begin sending some of his men to patrol the streets each night, looking for whoever or whatever was the culprit behind the strange thefts and abductions. Later that night, Private Reginald disappeared from the barracks. <gasps> Reginald's the name of my dog. Reginald! <laughs> Private Reginald, at your service! Reggie! <laughs> I'm going to call him Private Reginald. <laughs> Private Reginald. I can see your Private Reginald. I know. Sorry, I'm, I'm interrupting your spooky story. It's okay. I just love my dog so it's, much. <laughs> I just love my dog. So, disappearing children were one thing, but now a grown-ass man has also gone missing. I mean, that's not right. A mountain lion would have trouble. With a man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, mountain lions, they've got an appetite, but not that big. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it seems unlikely that an animal, even a wolf, because apparently mountain lions aren't in Germany... (laughs) It's oh, wolves. I don't know. I wolves. just assume they're everywhere. <laughs> My geography is off. Wolves and lions and bears. Um, so they, they could have taken down a healthy, full-grown man. Or they couldn't have taken down a healthy, full-grown man on its own. Uh, but of course, wolves are pack animals, so clearly they haven't thought that through. <laughs> Tell them, Lainey. Just putting that out there. You're a, you're a little bit late with this revelation, <laughs> though. I'm not going to lie. So 
Naturally, rumours began to surface that there was some sort of monster living in the mountains that only came out at night and uh, feasted on the occupants of the village. Much like that game that was on Windows back in the 90s, if you remember that, when you were skiing down a hill and then a little yeti ran out from behind a tree and gobbled you up. Oh, classic. But they keep doing the nightly patrols. One night, the grandfather and a few of the other soldiers see a person standing outside the windows of a darkened house, peering into it. Like, creepy as fuck. So they shout at the figure for them to stay put, but of course, who's gonna do that when they're being creepy-deaky? They're gonna go. So they take off running and they chase them. Eventually, the thing or person jumps into a cave and they began and they began shooting at them. The, the creature is shooting at them, so clearly it's oh, okay. not, okay. not a, a wolf. Um, wolf with a gun! <laughs> they... The worst kind of wolf! Oh god! <laughs> Wolves with guns! <laughs> so they return fire, and they're just shooting at each other like pew 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 pew! <laughs> um, eventually they stop, and they go and investigate. They find Reginald dead. <gasps> no! Yeah, in the cave. Reggie! And he's surrounded by seven half-eaten children. So we don't know what happened. It doesn't tell me whether or not Reginald died because he was shot or if he was already in there dead. Well, I can tell you one thing. On. And it's that that was not a real-life incident because it's from the No Sleep subreddit. No! <laughs> <laughs> Were you... I didn't want to spoil it for you before you started reading, but I noticed <laughs> it was submitted by a Reddit user, well, and I was like, wonder what subreddit? And um, the No Sleep subreddit is one that we use quite regularly for our fictional stories at the end of our episodes, <laughs> so unfortunately... Well, I'm going to counteract that, and I'm going to say that this is 100% actual fact and truth, because Igloo444 told me so. You can send him a message and I will tell do. him how disappointed you are. Uh, do you know what? We do actually write to the Reddit users that we use stories from. So we can write to him and say, we assume this is real. Um, so thank you. <laughs> that's the whole That's the whole thing with the No Sleep subreddit. You post and you're, you're supposed to play yeah. along with it. Like you're not allowed to mm. um, break character. Well, clearly... I took it a little bit too fucking seriously. Oh god yeah, damn it! That's true. Never mind. Well, there you go. That was that was my creepy deaky story. So my one mm-hmm. um, is the tale of the man in the attic. Ooh. I hate men in attics. <laughs> As the worst kind of men. <clears throat> in Colmar, France, a young woman experienced something strange in the summer of 1991. What? I thought this was a World War. Two story. Yeah, but she's experiencing a ghost, isn't she? Alright, okay. Alright, okay. Go on. God, don't sass me, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Her family had just moved into a new house and she found a hole in the wall of the attic. Ugh. Through the hole, she could see another room. But as far as she could tell, it had no door. Nope. Move house. Literally move house again. <laughs> She felt something strange coming from the hole, but didn't investigate. What's something strange? Later, she went back with a flashlight and she saw something. And now she saw something strange. This is the quote. Okay. There was a young man sitting on the floor, his knees against his chest. 
His arms were crossed on his knees like he was hugging himself. He turned his head towards us and uh, smiled. Fuck no, don't. We bolted out of the room and we went to the storage room. My heart was pounding and I was out of breath. I first thought that it was a real person, but he had no colour. It was like a 3D dark shadow. And we never heard any footsteps. My friend refused to admit that we saw a ghost and we never talked about it. My grandmother later learnt our house was a clandestine printing office during World War II. The owners printed slogans against the Germans, but I think there was something else in that house. I believe that the secret room was used to hide people. Oh, the annex. I went to Amsterdam this year and I walked around the annex oh. that Anne Frank lived in and it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. So you think that's what this is? It's like a kind of... Mm. But then if there was a hole in the fucking wall, then... So, and they can just walk up to it with a light as well, can't they? The Germans, and then they'll be found. Yeah, there. but who knows? That might have been made by a little ratty since a little rat war rat. time. Maybe. Well, that was fucking terrifying. Thank you. That's all right, bud. Anyway, thanks for listening. And um, thanks to Akshay for having us on this episode. Yeah, thank you, mate. Hope you enjoy the rest of it we've really enjoyed doing it and there are some amazing other podcasts that are involved in it i can only speak for myself but i'm really looking forward to listening to it and seeing what everybody else pulls together so thanks for having us bye peace